0: Got your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48 is an interesting little tidbit coming from the life of Joseph, whose um, father was Jacob, whose grandfather was Isaac, whose great grandfather was Abraham. And so in Genesis 48, we read in verse number one and it came to pass after these things. That one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob, which would have been Joseph's dad. One told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel, of course, God had renamed Jacob by the name Israel. And Israel, or Jacob, strengthened himself and sat up upon his bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee, For an everlasting possession. And now, thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto uh, unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Then skip down to verse number nine. Verse number nine. And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, "'Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them.' Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, "'I had not thought to see thy face, and, lo, God hath showed me also thy seed.' Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not, not so my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy hand, thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I, I, I know it, my son. I know it. He also shall become a people, and he "...also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations." And he blessed them that day, saying, "...and thee shall Israel bless, saying, God, make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh." And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, "...behold, I die." But God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. About a week and a half ago, I saw a news clip about a senior telling something that happened to him that week. He said, I know I shouldn't have done this, but I am 83 years of age. And he went on to tell that he was in the drive-in lane at McDonald's. Now that particular McDonald's had three points in the drive-thru. Point number one, you order your food. Then you drive to point number two, you pay for your food. Then you drive to point number three and you pick up your food. Okay, so we've all been through drive-throughs that have three points. So he said he was in, in the, at point number one, ordering his food and Behind him, the driver of the vehicle began to peep at him, honk, honk, honk. And he looked up in his rearview mirror and he said there was a woman. Now, sorry, ladies, I'm telling the story the way it was. It happened to be a lady. Could have been a man, uh, could have been a teenager, but uh, it happened to be a lady. And, and he could see by the expression on her face, the movement of her hands, and he could not hear her, but he could tell that she was pretty perturbed at him. And uh, he rightly assumed that it was because, as an 83-year-old man, he wasn't quite as quick to place his order as what he would have been younger in his life. So he just kind of looked at in his rearview mirror and watched the antics in the car behind him for a moment. And once he had placed his order, he drove up to point number two. And there, at point number two, he proceeded to pay for his meal and for the meal For the lady behind him. And then proceeded to point number three. He watched in his rearview mirror as the lady got to point number two and found out that he had paid for her meal. And he had returned to her kindness for her rudeness. She opened the car door and leaned out and she mouthed the words to him, thank you, with a big smile. He stopped at point number three and he showed the receipt and picked up his food. And then he showed the second receipt and picked up her food and drove away. (laughs) Knowing that when she got to point three, she will have to proceed to the back of the drive-thru lane and start all over again. I love seniors. At the end of his story, he said, be careful about Honking at seniors, they've been around the block a few times. I love seniors. Years ago, I read seven statements. It was called Great Truths About Growing Old. I've shared them at points in the past. Let me share them with you again. Great Truths About Growing Old. Great truth number one, growing up. Is mandatory. Growing old is optional. We've all known some 50 year olds that were much older than 50 in action. We've known some older people that aren't. Great truth number two, forget about the health food. I need all the preservatives I can get. Great truth number three, when you fall down, you wonder what else you can do while you're down there. Great truth number four, you're getting old when you can, when you get the same sensation from a rocking chair that you once got from a roller coaster. Great truth number five, it's frustrating when you know all the answers, but nobody bothers to ask you any questions. That has become a reality in America. We don't want to know what the older generation thinks, because we're far smarter than they are. Great truth number six, time may be a great healer, but it's a lousy beautician. And great truth number seven, wisdom comes with age, but sometimes age comes alone. Great truths about growing old. I'm going to refer back to a couple of those in just a couple of minutes. Something else that I've shared with people a number of times because I I, I see it in my actions more and more. A gentleman said they finally found a diagnosis for my condition. I've been diagnosed as AAADD. That's age activated attention deficit disorder. He said, I decided to wash the car. So I started toward the garage and I noticed the mail was on the table. OK, I'm going to wash the car, but first I'm going to go through the mail. So I laid down my car keys on the desk. I discarded the junk mail and I noticed the trash can's full. OK, I'll just put the bills on my desk and take the trash out. But since I'm going to be near the mailbox anyway, I'll go ahead and pay a few bills first. But ah, where's my checkbook? It's only got one check left, and my extra checkbooks are in the desk. Oh, there's the coke I was drinking earlier. I'm going to go look for those checks, but first I need to put it in the refrigerator. I head toward the kitchen, and my flowers catch my eye. and They need some water, so I so I set the coke on the counter. And uh, where are my? There are my glasses. I was looking for them all morning. I better put them away first. I fill the container with water, head for the flower flower pots. Somebody left the TV remote in the kitchen. I'll never think to look in the kitchen for it tonight when I want to watch TV. I better put that in the family room. I splash some water into the pots and onto the floor. I throw the remote into the soft cushion of the sofa. I head back down the hallway to figure out what was I going to do. And at the end of the day, the car isn't washed. The bills are unpaid. The Coke is sitting on the kitchen counter. The waters are half watered. The checkbook still has only one check in it. And I can't seem to find my car keys. And when I try to figure out how come nothing got done today, I'm baffled because I know I was busy all day long. Have you started to live like that? The mind just, Ryan says, not, not, not been there yet. Age activated attention deficit disorder. Do you value the older people? Do you value us older people? In the changing of American culture, young people need to learn what it means to value elderly and to be taught how to value elderly people. The culture has changed drastically enough that those who at one time were so involved in the lives of their grandchildren and great-grandchildren, because geography. I mean, you just people lived close to one of those. Families didn't spread out as much as what they do in our world today. And so you had ready-made babysitters. I mean, they were always right there, maybe in the same house, maybe the house just down the block. And uh, and there was a lot of interaction amongst the generations. And that's not America today. America today, a lot of seniors are lonely. And they live alone. And... And nobody wants to ask them questions because they really don't want to know what they think. And it behooves all of us uh, to stop occasionally and, and think about the value of seniors and what it means to value seniors. I've got, as you can see from your little sermon worksheet, there are two parts to this message. One has to do with what you believe and one has to do with what you practice. And that's That is an important balance in all areas of life. Our Bible was, many of our Bible books were written that way. You read about what to believe, then you read about how what you believe impacts what you do. What you believe and how you act because of what you believe. And so that's what I want to do for a few moments uh, this morning. I want us to look at some truths we really need to understand from the Word of God. And then I want us to give some consideration to the lives we must live Because of those truths. So, some truths. Three truths uh, jotted down on the sheet in front of you. Uh, Truth number one is this. God requires the honor of parentage. God requires that we honor our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, however many generations happen to be there in our experience. The book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 32. I, I put the references down. In the event that someday you'll want to sit down with your family and help teach your children how to, how to understand what the Bible says about honoring the elderly. Leviticus 19.32, the Bible says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. H-O-A-R-Y. It's the white head, the gray head, the, uh, the uh, older person. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man. And fear thy God, I am the Lord. You know, in the book of Daniel, uh, about in three different uh, parts of Daniel, uh, verses in Daniel, God is called the Ancient of Days. You know, God's elderly. God's a senior citizen. God identifies himself as the Ancient of Days. He's been around the block a few times. He's been around. Do you ever notice there's a relationship between honoring elders and honoring God? The Bible that requires of us the honor of our parentage also speaks of our honoring of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, there's a reference that speaks of God's expectation that there be a multi-generational influence in families. Deuteronomy 5, 9 says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity. Now, here's the part I want you to catch. This is Deuteronomy, so this is on the banks of the Jordan River, 40 years of wandering. Moses is about to die on Mount Nebo. Joshua is going to lead Israel into the Promised Land. And Moses is reiterating the law of God that had been given on Mount Sinai and its implications in their nation. And so the book of Deuteronomy is Moses reiterating all of this. And God reiterated something that you also find in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. He said, God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. He's talking about the influence. When Israel goes into the promised land, what's the culture going to do to them? He said, when you get into the promised land, you're going to be surrounded by heathen cultures. Don't bow down to their gods. Don't let them influence you. And in that context, God makes the statement of the of God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, that seems to conflict with a passage from one of the major prophets who said that God never punishes a child for what the parent did. Every man will die for their own sins. Well, how is it that, that God recognizes and will visit the iniquity under the third and fourth generation in one part of the Bible, and in another part of the Bible, God doesn't punish the children for what the parents do? And while it is true that I will never be punished for sins that Lloyd Elstal committed... There's a lot of my life that is living out what I observed in the life of Lloyd Elstock. And sometimes the weaknesses of one generation can be prevalent in their children's generation. And then God visits the iniquity on that generation, not for what their parents did, but for what they copied their parents and did themselves. And that influence casts down three to four generations. That would be me, my dad, my granddad, my great-granddad, and my great-great... No, three or four. My Me, my dad, my granddad, and my great-granddad. God expects that we are influenced by what our great-grandfathers did. And that there is a cascading influence from generation to generation, down three or four generations. God requires that we honor our parentage for what they have made us to become. Exodus 20, verse 12 is the verse I was referring to from the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother and thy days may be long upon the land. I'm sorry. The one I referenced for was a couple of verses before that. But honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long. Honor your father, your mother, that thy days may be long. How we honor our parents recognizing the cascading influence of our previous generations down into our lives. Our lives can be blessed. We can live long upon the earth. We can have the hand of God's blessing on us if we honor our parents Job said, with the ancient is wisdom and in length of days understanding. The value of what they're passing down from generation to generation is of great importance in our lives. You ever notice that the word grandfather doesn't occur anywhere in the Bible? The word grandfather doesn't occur anywhere in the Bible? The word grandfather didn't exist back when our Bible was translated into the English language. However, you will find the word father with an S on it 549 times. Fathers. What is that referring to? Fathers. Well, the Bible explains it in Deuteronomy 1.8. Deuteronomy 1.8, the Bible says, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord thy God swore unto your fathers. Now, this was... Was written to the generation going into the promised land. And who were the fathers? Well, the verse goes on to name them, which the Lord thy God swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them to their seed after them. Who were the fathers? The fathers are the grandparents back as many generations as they're still cascading their influence forward into our lives god requires that we honor our parentage because they they have impacted us we are living out their influence back as far back as our great grandparents we are living out the influence of our fathers and because of that reality god requires that we honor the ancient of days that's god and that we honor the face of the old man. That's dad and grandpa and great-grandpa and so forth. Here's the second truth. Not only does God require the honor of parentage, but God condemns the dishonor of parentage. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagle shall eat it. That's kind of graphic, isn't it? When dad or mom say something to you and you raise your eyebrows and roll your eyes, that's what it's talking about. When you show disdain for your dad or your mom with your eyes. The eyes are the window to the soul, right? And when you roll your eyes at your parents, God says, I'm going to send an eagle to pluck out your eyeball and eat it. Kind of Graphic. From the book of wisdom, God doesn't take too highly to us dishonoring our parents with our eyes. Exodus 21 he says, he that smiteth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. You strike your dad or mom? It's the electric chair, buddy. In God's economy. Exodus twenty one seventeen, he that curseth father or mother shall surely be put to death. Isaiah 3 5. God listed disrespect of parents as in a list of sins that required judgment. He spoke of the child that behaves himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honorable. When a child behaves themselves proudly against their parent or their elders, The Bible speaks of that as a in the list of sins deserving of judgment. You see, see God disfavors, God uh, uh, disdains, condemns the dishonor of parents. Lamentations says the princes are hanged up by their hand. The faces of elders were not honored. This is Lamentations. You remember Lamentations? Those are the weepings, the funeral poems that Jeremiah wrote as he sat And watched Jerusalem burn to the ground by the uh, armies of Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, And Jeremiah wrote those funeral poems that are the book of Lamentations. And he described his own generation. He said, you know why this is happening to us? You know why our capital city is being burnt to the ground? Because the faces of elders were not honored by my generation. Again, in Lamentations, the anger of the Lord hath divided them. He will no more regard them. They respected not the persons of the priests. They favored not the elders. You see, God requires that we honor our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, our elders. And God condemns any dishonor. Of our elders. That's just basic foundational 101 Bible doctrine about family living. God wants us to honor our elders. Here's the third truth that, that we must understand. Honorable parentage is earned. I want to turn to this one and read this one. I don't have it typed out on my notes. Uh, Proverbs chapter thir- uh, 16, verse 31. Uh, this verse talks about. The fact that there are some elders that have not earned honor. Honorable parentage is earned by elders. Proverbs 16 and verse number 31. The Bible says the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. Here's another side to this coin of truth. There are elderly people that are not worth listening to. And the elderly person is honorable if they be found in the way of righteousness. I was thinking yesterday, I I mentioned we had a 10-hour birthday party yesterday for mom. And uh, we set up a video camera and videoed her telling her great-grandkids her life story. Um, We had a a number of family members spoke about dad and mom, some testimonies of what their life has meant to us in our generation. And and I, I was thinking, after I went home last night, do children hunger for God? Do children hunger for God? And if children under our influence don't hunger for God, I wonder if maybe part of that reason could be that, that I don't hunger for God. We've heard it said you can't pass on what you don't have. You can't influence someone to be what you are not say, so why do you mention that? Well, Sam was reminiscing, reminiscing some things that he remembered about Dad and Mom. And, and he, was, he was talking about calling Mom on the phone just a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a Friday night, if I remember correctly. He called Mom, and Mom answered. And, and Sam said, Mom, what are you doing? She said, I'm reading. He said, well, what are you reading? I'm reading the Antiquities of Josephus. say, who's Josephus? My mom knows who Josephus is. Josephus was a historian that lived at the time of Christ that recorded the history of Israel as as an eyewitness, as a generational. He wrote the history that so many utilized to try to understand Israel and the Jewish people and the Romans and, and, and the people of that day. So here's mom, 89 years of age, reading Josephus so she can better understand her Bible. Better understand the culture and the background and the people as she read. And and, and Sam was reminiscing how he could remember that that mom is the one that taught him how to use a concordance. And would have give give a subject and, and, and teach us how to go into the back of our Bible to the concordance, the study Bibles that... Dad and mom bought for each of us kids and how to go and search the concordance and find subjects and find information in the Bible about a subject. She used to have sword drills with us and, and, and she wanted us to know where books of the Bible were. And so she'd have sword drills with us uh, as kids so that we would be able to get uh, proficient at finding places in the Bible. In our living room were bookcases filled with commentaries that they had bought and read as they... Now that they, after they got saved, they weren't saved as children growing up. They got saved in their adulthood. But after they got saved and God changed their lives, they were hungry for the Word of God. And they bought commentary sets and they read commentaries and they learned the Word of God. And then they taught that to us kids. I wonder if more children would have a hunger for God if more parents had a hunger for God. You say, well, that's what Sunday school teachers are supposed to do, have sword drills and, and, and teach kids how to find things. No, 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 no. Sunday school teachers are a backup plan for kids that don't have parents that will do their job. Sunday school teachers are an additional tool in the toolbox to be another voice echoing what the dad and mom have taught in the home about the Word of God. You see, elderly people are honorable if they are found in the way of righteousness. And that becomes a real important part of growing into an honorable place in life. Job 32 says, great men are not always wise. Great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment. There are older people that are not wise. There are older people that don't understand judgment. Great truth about growing old number seven stated, wisdom comes with age, but sometimes age comes alone. We've got to be careful because we will be what we are becoming. We won't wake up. At 75 or 80 and be different than what we were becoming in our 30s and 40s. We will be an older version of what we've always been. But for the grace of God. Enabling us to put off the old man, put on the new. And grow and change under the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Well, those are three truths. God requires us to honor our parentage. God condemns the dishonor of parentage. But honorable parentage is earned. We've got to make sure we are earning the place that we want to have one day as an elderly person. Let me give you a a couple of uh, practical things that have to do with how we live our lives, how we live our lives. We. uh, read a moment ago in Genesis 48 how there were were uh, Joseph was there his two sons we had sons we had their dad Joseph we had Joseph's dad who was on his deathbed Jacob or Israel and Jacob referred back to his dad Isaac and his granddad Abraham in the conversation that we read in in Genesis 48 five generations Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph and Joseph's two sons, five generations mentioned as there was a concern that the the spiritual heritage that had come from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph would be passed on to Joseph's two sons. And so Joseph brought his two sons to their grandfather, asked the grandfather who was nearly blind, put his hands on their head to bless them, to pronounce a spiritual blessing on the grandchildren, and to pray for them. And we have this amazing picture of this passing down of heritage from one generation to another. Let me just refer quickly to uh, to Psalm uh, 78, a passage that we read yesterday in our family birthday party. Let me just point it out to you. Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8 has an important instruction to all parents. Let me just skip down to verse number 4. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works which He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them The generation that should be born, that aren't even alive yet, that they should arise and then declare them to their children when their children are born. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. God's vision is a multi-generational vision of impact and influence. And every generation of parents has to live so that one day they will be in the position in life where someone will be bringing grandchildren and great-grandchildren up to them because they recognize the spiritual depth of that elderly parent. The spiritual depth, the godliness, and want that person to pronounce blessing and pray for their children. You see, God's got a multi-generational vision for spiritual influence to cascade down to up to five generations. So here's here's a couple of pieces of of uh, just a little bit about life that each of us must live. Practical advice for the non-ancient. So that's everyone here who is uh, probably under sixty years of age. If you're under sixty years of age, here's some practical advice for the uh, for the non-ancient. Number one under that, uh, the first little um, first little arrow. Value age. Value age. When the family gets together, put the patriarch at the head of the table. Draw attention to the patriarch or the matriarch. Draw attention to the value of that elder, oldest family member that's present in the gathering. Invite that person to address the family. Read the Bible. Pray for their kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. Honor, value the elders that are present in family gatherings. There's a second little bullet, uh, a little arrow there. Live that you will be honored. We read the verses how that an elderly person is honorable if they be found in the way of righteousness. There are some... That are aged but not wise, the Bible says. So, if you're not an elder yet, if you're not an ancient yet, live now so that one day you can be honored. And that your life will invite honor from those younger than you. Live now that you will be honored later. And the third little bullet point there, a little arrow there. Find avenues for the passing of heritage. Some of the fun stuff yesterday was listening to family members rehearse stories. We laughed. We cried. Stories of the past. Going back a couple of generations. Reliving some memories. Laughing at each other. Find avenues for the passing on of heritage. I'll forever be indebted to all of the trips to West Virginia riding in the back of the car, fighting car sickness, as Dad tried to carve another 60 seconds off from the best record of getting from Fairfax to Buchanan, West Virginia, over the mountains. They say that a woman views a trip to be something to be enjoyed, and a man views a trip as something to be conquered. Can we shave off another minute from what it took us last time? All those trips in... To Grandpa and Grandma Elstock's house on Fayette Street. Playing upstairs in the cubby holes. Finding all the treasures that had been stuffed away in the cubby holes at Grandma's and Grandpa's house. Going to Grandpa and Grandma Smith's house on Lumber Street. And, and as a little boy looking at this funny plate on the wall. i would never seen one like this. It was just low enough I could reach up to it. And it had a, it had two buttons on it. One button was pushed in and the other button was out. I thought, what in the world is this at Grandpa and Grandma's house? I was a little bit afraid because I didn't know what would happen if I pushed the button that was out. I can remember that as a little boy, I kind of got ready to run. And I reached up and put my, my thumb on the button that was out. And I pushed it and ran because I didn't know what was going to happen. The lights went out. It's a light switch. Our light switches go up and down. Grandpa's light switches go in and out. The memories of our childhood. The memories of our heritage. The hours stirring apple butter in a big 25-gallon copper kettle out over a roaring fire that still happens in the Elstock lineage down into the generation's. That are younger today. Asking questions to understand perspective. Why do you view this like this? Remembering that Solomon's son made the mistake of his life when he rejected the advice of his father's generation. And took the advice of his own age group. And destroyed the nation of Israel. Why do you think the way you do? Why do you view this this way? Teaching children to honor and speak well of their elders. Whatever happened to Mr. and Mrs. Sir and Ma'am? When did we stop teaching children to revere elders? Elders. When did we stop teaching children not to interrupt an adult conversation because they want something now? When did we stop teaching that? When did we start letting kids interrupt their parents when their parents were in the middle of an adult conversation with some other adults? When did we allow children to call elders by their first names? I still speak of Uncle Bill. I wouldn't dream of calling my uncle just Bill. I still call my aunts my uncles by their titles aunt and uncle because I revere they are my elders. When do we stop teaching that? When do we become comfortable not revering those that are older? I, I think sometimes it's because we're too proud to admit that we're getting older. Maybe you'd rather be called by your first name, by your children's friends, instead of Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. But let me suggest to you that maybe in your hiding, your pride that you've gotten older, you're doing a disservice to a generation of little boys and girls by asking them to call you by your first name. Because those children need to know that you're not their peer. You are an elder, and you deserve the respect of a title as your elder. Who goes first through the door? Who gets the best seats? Who stands or sits on the floor when there aren't enough seats? Who interrupts who? There's just so many little practical things that are Previous generations of parents taught their children that are absent in our culture today, somewhere a generation of parents stopped teaching their kids to respect elders. My suggestion would be to always look for opportunities and avenues to pass heritage and respect and honor on from one generation to another. And then let me just mention a couple of things as we close. Practical advice for the ancient. Those that are older, be available. Don't retire from influence. Stay involved. I've it's my understanding historically that Ronald Reagan wrote profusely letters in long hand to people and his Ronald Reagan's and even George Washington's letters are still revered for the letters they wrote. I I, I decided, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to start writing each of my grandkids on their birthday. Uh, Last week I was talking to Betty and I said, Betty, who had birthdays recently? She said, well, Libby. I "I, I don't remember if I wrote Libby. I said, "Who else?" She said, "Brock." I don't remember writing Brock. I gotta, I, I gotta figure out some way to not let this happen. Sometimes I'm a week late. Very seldom I ever early. I've got nice notes back from some grandkids that the letter meant something to them, and some of them they didn't get the letter because I forgot. But what do we do to try to be available, to try to maintain influence? And could I say, finally, tell your story. Tell your story. I was visiting the hospital room of one of our men, one of our members of the church years and years ago. And uh, his mother was not well at all. And I'd never met his mother. I went to the hospital and I when I walked into the hospital room, I didn't know his mom and um and there were a number of family members that were filling the room, and I didn't know. I only knew that one member who was a member of the church. And I didn't know. I hadn't planned anything. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. what to, It's awkward, you know. I don't know any of these people. I don't know the lady. I, I, all I know is she's his mom. And and I walked into the room, and, and, and I after, after a couple of pleasant reads, I asked her, I said, have, have you ever been saved? Do you know you're saved? And she said, Yes. I know I'm saved. And I said, would you mind telling me your story? I'd love to know what God did in your life that brought you to salvation. Would you tell me your story? She said, I'd be happy to. And she laid there in the hospital bed and she rehearsed her story of what God had done in her life. And how God had saved her. I don't know, maybe a week later, two weeks later, I got a letter. From that man, member of the church. And he thanked me. He said, that's the first time in my life I ever heard my mom tell the story of how she got saved. You know, we should make sure that doesn't happen in our families. That our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids never hear Our story of life. And so we set up the camera yesterday. Mom wanted to tell the story of how she got saved to her grandkids and great-grandkids. And I went over to Mom's house this last week and I said, Mom, let's talk a little bit about this testimony. You know, we're videoing it. She said, you're what? I said, yeah, we're going to have two cameras set up with umbrella lights. We're going to have the whole nine yards. We didn't really have them. Two cameras. We only had one, but I said, "I said this is going to be a big deal. We want your story recorded." She said, "Well, I was only going to talk for a couple minutes." I said, "Oh no, mom. It's got to be an hour. We we want to hear the life story. We'll even break it up in two segments. We'll do part of it, and then we'll eat lunch. We'll come back and do the other part." She got rolling, and she went on for I don't know how long she went, guys. Probably an hour anyway. And uh, we never had to come back to it again because she just kept on rolling. And uh, and she told the story of her life, not just her salvation, but the story of her life and how she met dad and, and their life together and then her salvation and then dad's death and the impact of that. And, and up to the present, tell your story. Make sure your kids don't grow up not knowing the details of your story. When grandkids come along, make sure your grandkids know the details of your story from your own lips. Tell your story to your family. It is so vital and important. Entering the ranks of the aged is not a failure to be dreaded. It's a goal to be reached. It took me 68 years to get where I am. I want credit for every one of them. I'm proud that I'm 60, well, not 68, I'm 67. I'll be 68 in a, in a couple weeks. I'm proud of my age. In fact, I've been bragging about being 68 I, for, for six months, and I'm not even 68 yet. I, I want every little bit I can squeeze out of it. Don't be so embarrassed of your age that you want to admit how old you are. That, it's not a failure. It, you achieve something. And make sure you influence the ones around you.